0: Good morning all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gathering in this place this morning. We've been singing that Jesus is here and we thank you that that is gloriously true. When your son had paid the price of our redemption, you raised him from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And he's always present with every individual Christian and with every company of true believers. And we thank you for that. We thank you too for the work of your Holy Spirit who is active all over the world, making people aware of who you are and how much you love us and how you want to bless us, drawing our attention to the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, shedding his blood to cleanse us from sin. We thank you that when we come to Jesus, we discover that in a strange and wonderful way, we have been born all over again. We thank you for that new life you give to us, and we ask that you will help us in this time here this morning to either come to know Jesus for the first time, if we've never done that, or to grow in our awareness of him, in our knowledge of him, in our love for him. Holy Spirit, please help us now. Help me as I speak, and help us all to receive what you want to impart to us, to respond in the way that you desire. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going this morning to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Isaiah, and a few verses in chapter 48. That the people of God, that is the Jewish people, in these Old Testament days, had been in exile for almost 70 years. That's a long, long time to be away from home. (coughs) The whole generation would have died off in the meantime. And why were they in exile? Because they had persistently disobeyed God. And the same God who loves us with an unconditional love is a holy God who expects, rightly expects, our obedience to him. And when we withhold our obedience, there is... A penalty to pay, and these Jewish people paid that penalty over and over again by being punished in various ways by God, not to destroy them, but to teach them a lesson. In chapter forty-seven of Isaiah. The prophet is writing about the end of this exile time and the fact that Babylon, where these people had been in exile, was going to be reduced to a weak nation, no longer a power nation, and God's Jewish people would be able to return home. So at that point we pick up some verses in chapter 48 where the Lord leads Isaiah to write come near me and listen to this, this is Isaiah 48 at verse 16 come near me and listen to this from the last first announcement I have not spoken in secret, at the time it happens I am there and now the sovereign Lord has sent me with his spirit, your redeemer the holy one of Israel this is what the Lord says I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you who directs you in the way you should go if only you had paid attention to my commands your peace would have been like a river your righteousness like the waves of the sea your descendants would have been like the sand your children like its numberless grains their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. The first thing I want to draw your attention to here is that we read here about the longing, the longing in the heart of God. Where did we get our emotions from? God gave them to us. We are equipped with emotions. And the same God who has given us emotions has himself emotions. Very much so. And so we find here in verse 17, the Lord saying through the prophet Isaiah, this is what the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go, if only, if only, you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea, and so on. In other words, if only, God is saying, if only you had listened to my instruction and followed my directions, your life would be very, very different and very much better from what it is. Oh, the longing in the heart of God. The old RSV translation puts it this way, Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments. Now I remember a preacher called Paul Reese who used to come over occasionally from America and I had him once preaching at St. George's Tron Church and he preached in a strange text. A text is a passage of scripture by the way, not the other thing. Um, he preached in a strange text and his, his text was the word Oh! 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 Ever heard a sermon on the word oh? No, don't think so. You see, when we use the word oh like that We're expressing emotion, we're saying something in in the context of what we're saying, we're expressing emotion. Somebody has gone against their parents' wishes and taken out the family car and they haven't got insurance and they haven't even passed their tests and they are either seriously injured or actually killed in a horrible car crash. And the parents are in anguish and they're saying to each other, if only, if only, if only Jim had listened to us. They didn't and see what's happened so we're reminded of the longing in the heart of God there are things that God longs to do for you and for me and it's summed up in this next phrase I'm giving you the longing in the heart of God is first of all that we may learn how we ought to live that we may learn how we ought to live what's wrong with the world? Well, most of its inhabitants have not unfortunately learned how to live. Otherwise the world wouldn't be in a disastrous mess it's in this morning. We need God to teach us how to live. And of course we find throughout the whole Bible a lot of instructions, otherwise known as commandments. And because we have a bias unfortunately towards evil, not towards good, We kind of instinctively rebel, we prickle at the whole concept of commandment. Who is this telling me what to do? I will do what I want. Oh, well you can, but there will be consequences. We dislike the law. So what is the law for? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us interesting things about the purpose of the law. Let's look at one of these for a moment. In Romans chapter 3, He is writing to Christians in Rome. This is not the church of Rome. This is Christians in Rome. And he says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight, perfect, acceptable in God's sight, by observing the law, although God has given us laws. And why will that not happen? Because we are morally and spiritually incapable of keeping God's instructions. Rather, says Paul, through the law we become conscious of sin. You see, it is a commandment, an instruction, that forbids us to do something, for example, that tells us, if you do this, you'll be, in human terms in civil terms, committing a crime, or you'll do this and you'll be committing a sin against God. The law is there to make us aware that we do things that are wrong we say things that are wrong, we think things that are wrong, that is part of the purpose of the law. But then, if we go over to a book in the New Testament called Galatians, it's an area in which many Christians were living, and Paul is writing to them this time, and he's saying there in Galatians chapter 3, he says, The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. Justified means declared righteous, acceptable in God's company. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. On the face of it, it's a kind of strange expression. Why? Because it's describing the law as a person who's in charge. Ah, but the reason for that is that Paul was writing to people who lived in a culture where in the average or above-average home where there were parents and probably children there were also slaves. And one of the slaves in the home was given, among other things, a particular task to do. It was that slave's responsibility to not teach the children but to ensure that they would go to school, that they would go where they would be taught. And that's why Paul is using this imagery, because these folk will understand it. That slave's responsibility was to make sure the children would go to where they would be taught. Ah, and Paul is saying, well, the law has been put in charge to lead us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher in the world, and the law makes us aware, first of all, that we're not making it on our own. We're just not making it. We're getting it wrong again and again and again. We are committing sin against God and He wants to help us to get rid of it. And so the law that defines the sin, makes us aware we're sinful, at the same time points us in one direction, in one direction only, and that is pointing us to the Son of God who came into the world in fulfillment of many promises and prophecies, and died a horrible death on the cross outside Jerusalem for you, for me that we might be forgiven freely by God because Jesus has paid the price now of course there are still commandments that need to be observed by the Christian once we become Christians we're not saved from our sin by keeping the law that doesn't work, it couldn't work, can't work But once you become Christians, we don't throw the law overboard and say, well, I don't need any more instructions anymore. You need probably more instructions than ever, because you've embarked on a new life, you haven't been a Christian before, this is all new to you, so you have a lot of learning to do. This is part of life. All through our life, even into old age, we're meant to be still learning. Well... If you don't like the idea of law, listen to what John says in his third letter, in chapter 5. He says this. This is love for God. This is how we show our love for God, to obey his commands. Now, Jesus said exactly the same thing. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love someone, you will want to please them. And the way in which we please God is by doing what he asks and tells us to do. And then John adds this little bit of extra input. He says his commandments, God's commandments, are not burdensome. They're not a great weight that we can't carry. They're not like that at all. They may appear on the surface to be like that, but it's not true. They're not burdensome. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, but I am meek and lowly in heart, you'll find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy, he said. When you get teamed up with me, as two oxen will be teamed up by a yoke. When you get teamed up with me, said Jesus, you will find that going is not hard, it's easy. My burden is light. So when we find ourselves being tempted to think, ah, it's too hard, God's asking too much, it's not fair. When you find ourselves thinking that way, you know that you're hearing the wrong voice. You're not hearing God's voice, you're hearing the devil's voice. And he's trying to distract you from knowing God and pleasing God. One of the great commandments that is enforced to this day and uh, evidence that it's enforced to this day is right here in this room. Before Jesus went to the cross... He said to his disciples, a new commandment. Oh, a new commandment, yes. A new commandment I'm giving you. That you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men, all people will know that you're my disciples. Hey, this is the badge of the Christian. Not that we all believe exactly the same teaching. There are variations in the teaching in the Bible which are permissible to have an either-or arrangement. That's not the point. We're not defined by what we believe. We're defined by whether or not we love each other. Oh, well, that's an acid test and it never fails. And sadly, in some Christian groups, they don't love each other very much. I've been among them, oh, I know from experience. I've seen professing Christians showing the very opposite of love to one another and it should not be so because you see Jesus has given those outside the church a test that can apply to those inside the church who say we're Christians and if they see us not loving each other well, they'll say keep well away from that lot they're not genuine they don't love each other so we're commanded to love one another Don't you think the world could do with a lot more people in it who love one another? Because this morning, the world is full of people who hate each other's guts and destroy each other, loathe each other. What a way to live. But the Christian is given a complete opposite to that. The longing in the heart of God is that we would learn how we ought to live. But to do that, you see, we have to take what he has to give. God wants us to take what he has to give. And you see, becoming a Christian and living a Christian life begins not by giving. We don't become Christians by giving to God. I know a lot of, a lot of Christians talk about giving your heart to God and so on, and that's, that's okay. But It's helpful to realize that essentially when we're becoming Christians we're not giving God something he's giving us something yes he's giving us something something that is precious something that is priceless what is it? Well there are various things it begins with what the Bible calls redemption now we talk about salvation and if I say I have been saved from my sin well I'm saying God has than a saving work in my life but if I say I have been redeemed I'm being more specific I'm saying that God has done that he's achieved that in my life because somebody paid the price of my salvation and that somebody was Jesus when he died on the cross redemption is liberation because the appropriate price has been paid the ransom has been paid so I have to receive that you see Ah, back to Romans chapter 3. We were there a minute ago talking about the law. But in the very same passage, Paul continues, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, not been achieved by law, has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe there is no difference... But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous, made righteous freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Some Christians don't like talking about the blood of, the blood of Jesus sounds a bit messy how dare they say that the blood of Jesus is the one thing that cleanses us from our sin that's why as we share communion later we drink wine its equivalent symbolising the precious blood of Jesus that was the greatest sacrifice this world had ever seen and Jesus made it willingly for you, for me That we might be forgiven our sin and made right with God. Oh, running to the Christians in Turkey, Paul says to these Christians in a place called Ephesus. He says in in his first part of the letter there to these Christians, he says, "In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We get this amazing gift." Of forgiveness and salvation and a whole new life as a gift we're not saved by doing our best we're trying harder by being good it doesn't work that way we have to be saved by receiving a gift and that gift is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and all that he brings into our lives with him we must begin by receiving his redemption And some of you maybe here this morning haven't yet had that as a real experience for you. Well, God wants to tell you that he loves you with an unconditional love. There are no strings attached to God's love. God doesn't say, love me if I will love you if... No, no, none of that. His conditional love is available here this morning. And you can reach out, as many of us have reached out in the past made aware that we need to be saved from our sin made aware that jesus has paid for our salvation paid for us to have new life and all we're going to do is to turn our back in the old life to begin to hate our sins instead of loving them turn our back in the old life and surrender to jesus christ no kind of i believe somewhere up here in my mind is i'll think differently about jesus that's not enough you have to surrender your life to jesus if he's not lord and they really can't be your saviour. So I'm just throwing out a challenge this morning because it's absolutely fundamentally important. We haven't got a good relationship with God until this happens to us. But the minute it happens, we are new people, absolutely new, renewed by God himself. And then, then, he is committed to instructing us. We need instruction You see for example in Ephesians again in chapter 4 this time we have the word redemption because we're warned as Christians once we become Christians the Holy Spirit enters our life and works in our life and brings into our life the power of God otherwise we couldn't live out the Christian life without the power of God and the Holy Spirit brings us into our life and the Holy Spirit for all he is omnipotent that means all powerful He is very, very sensitive and can be grieved. He can be grieved. He's easily hurt and he's hurt by our disobedience. And so Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The final day when we're all together in the presence of Jesus. The battles are all over. It's all finished. The present life is gone. There's a new world, new heavens, new earth. The final day of redemption. That's what God is leading us towards. And then immediately after saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because you'll need him to carry you through right to the end of the road. But immediately after that, ah, he challenges us. He says, get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice." Oh dear, oh dear. In other words, the things in our past life which are wrong, were wrong and will continue to be wrong if we go on practising them. Paul said it's time to shut the door on all these things. Now it takes some Christians a long time to make that adjustment. It may be this morning God is saying something to you along these lines. Listen, maybe you have become a Christian, maybe you do know me, maybe you are saved, yes, that's wonderful, but... You've still got some bitterness in your life. You see, all of us have had painful experiences in our past, and they can leave in us a bitterness that does not go away just like that. We have to turn our back on it. We have to leave it behind. We have to leave behind things like ungodly anger and malice just means bad stuff. Anything bad, gotta leave it behind. And God instructs us how to handle these things and offload them and promises to guide us. Redemption, instruction, direction. Back in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms 32, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and direct you in the way you shall go. Maybe like me, you find it difficult to make decisions. Well, God is always willing to help us to make right decisions. I will direct you in the way you should go. And in the New Testament, James says the same thing in one of his letters. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. But be sure you ask in faith. Come in faith and say, Father, you promised to give wisdom to your children. I need it. I want it. I'll let you into a secret. I ask for that every day. I'm not as wise as I should be yet. <laughs> I'm lot wiser than I used to be. Ask God for wisdom. It's wonderful to be guided by him. There's another difference between right and wrong. What will I do here, Lord? Ah, thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your wisdom. Now, the longing in the heart of God is leading to and intended to lead to the blessing for the people of God just quickly look at these things as I dead to write if only you'd paid attention to my commands, God is speaking your peace would have been like a river your righteousness like the waves of the sea your descendants would have been like the sand peace is something we all long for but it's often something we find elusive we want it but we can't get it and yet, God is able and willing to bless us with peace. A river just flows on year after year, evenly, sometimes it's in flood, sometimes it's a bit dry. But the peace God wants to give us is constant. It's ongoing, not an occasional thing. The peace of God. When Jesus our Lord, walked into Jerusalem. For that last time, knowing that within a very short space of time, he would be nailed to a cross. He looked at the city and what happened. Luke tells us in Luke 19 verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now the word used for weeping here is not shedding a few tears. Ah, uh-uh, ah, not at all. The word used for weeping here means sobbing your heart out. And our Lord Jesus viewed the city of Jerusalem and sobbed his heart out before he was accused, before he was put to a fake trial, before he was crucified. He wept over that city. Why? Because he said this, if only, if only, even you had known on this day what would bring you peace. What would have brought them peace? If they'd welcomed him, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Son of God, but they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. If only you had known what would bring you peace, he says. Ah, but no, it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in. They will dash you to the ground, and they did. In AD 70, the Romans came, and many, many people were slaughtered in that city. Jesus knew it was going to happen. If only, if only. Are you hearing God saying this morning, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your life would have been a whole lot better than it is. You You'd know a depth of peace that you don't know right now. You see, there's two dimensions to this. There's our relationship with God and we have peace with God the minute we accept his great gift of salvation and surrender our lives to his son Jesus Christ. That moment we have peace with God. A new relationship is established. And then throughout our Christian life we're promised peace. If we obey God Keep in touch with him in prayer, do his will. That's the secret. That's the secret. God wants us to enjoy peace. And part of our Christian witness is that in a world full of strife, and we're not just talking about international conflicts, we're talking about peace in the workplace and peace in the home, peace in our relationships. God wants us to know, experience peace, not strife. There should not be strife. In a Christian congregation. In a Christian home. In a workplace where people are Christians. It shouldn't be. It didn't be. If only we will obey God. And avail ourselves of his help. God has promised, you know, to supply all our needs. Paul was led to write to a church in Philippi and say, My God will supply all your needs. Now that takes away some of the anxiety, doesn't it? My God will supply all your needs. And also... Protection. Protection from the very anxiety that afflicts so many Christian people, sadly. Anxiety, yes. But Paul says to these Christians, don't be anxious, but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says when you come to God seeking his help, don't forget to say thank you beforehand, because that's an indication of your faith as you're saying to your heavenly father you promised to do this and I'm expecting you to do it help me in this situation and you'll know says Paul the peace of God which just passes all human understanding it's so wonderful peace righteousness So righteousness is the opposite of evil it's another name if you like for good and God wants to bless us with a right relationship with Him where we're in His eyes forgiven He's blotted out the past promised not to remember it anymore that's wonderful, wonderful and He's offering us the help to live righteous lives and righteousness is visible you can see how people are living we let the out of the bag the way we live, the way we speak the way we interact with each other demonstrates to those around us whether or not we are righteous, whether or not we're behaving rightly or whether or not we're behaving wrongly, it's visible and it's powerful. It's powerful. You know, In the book of Proverbs, the proverb writer was led to say, righteousness exalts a nation. Mm-hmm. This nation is not a righteous nation, it's corrupt in many ways. There is so much evil that is tolerated and even encouraged in our nation. This nation is not righteous. Righteousness, it says the Bible, exalts a nation. It lifts it high. But it adds sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Ever heard that before? If you and I sin, we're a disgrace. That's not do you want to be a disgrace? I don't. Sin is a disgrace to any people. And God offers to bless us with righteousness which is powerful. James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And sometimes we wonder why is God not answering our prayers? Oh, oh. Have I been disappointing God? Have I been sinning against God? Have I been grieving God's spirit some way? Is that why he's not answering my prayers? It can very well be. But the prayer of a righteous person. We're asking God for big things. We need to be behaving ourselves at the same time. Living righteous lives. Peace, righteousness, and lastly, children. The children are a very precious gift from God. I was privileged to be at Lachlan's birthday party yesterday. Uh, and it was a great time. Children are a very precious gift from God. We know sadly some couples are not able to have children and that is sad. But most couples are able, they want to have children, they can have children. Now children bring a great responsibility to us but they can also bring incredible joy. Now way back in the days of the Jewish people in the Old Testament it was made clear by God to the parents in the family that they had a real responsibility to tell their children about God. The many Christian parents leave it to the Sunday school teachers to tell their children about God. What's wrong with that? Well, what the Sunday school teachers bring should be an extra The primary instruction of children in a Christian home ought to come from their parents. The Jewish people still hearken to this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them, impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You see, a lot of Christian parents, for whatever reason, find it a little difficult sometimes to talk to their own children about God. To talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a healthy Christian home, a spiritually healthy Christian home, we don't talk about Jesus only. There's all sorts of other things, of course, we talk about. That's normal. But if we don't talk about Jesus at all, oh, something is missing. What's gone wrong? And I suspect one reason why Christian parents sometimes hesitate to talk to their children about Jesus is because children are very, very observant. Oh yes, they watch us like hawks. I'm a father and a grandfather and I know. They watch us like hawks. And if they see that we are not living what we're preaching, oh boy! (laughs) We've got to be living the Christian life. We're going to be living the way we should be in every area of life. But nearly can, with the help of God. And then we can happily speak to our children and say, you know, it's great to know Jesus. He's made change my life. He's really done something wonderful for me. And one famous preacher tells how, as a boy, he used to hear his father... Praying in the next bedroom, praying aloud, crying his heart out to God, and that itself made a profound impact on this young lad. Well, there it is—the longing in the heart of God: "Oh, that you would hearken to my commandments, that we may learn how we ought to live, we may take what He has to give to enable us to do that." and to be blessed with many blessings including peace like a river righteousness like the waves of the sea and children so numerous that they're like the sand, the grains of sand on the seashore children who are growing up not ignorant of God not indifferent to God but in God's own time being brought to know the Lord Jesus as their saviour To know God as a Heavenly Father. It's a great privilege, great responsibility for those of us who have children to help them to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've been saying to us this morning. We thank you it's all designed to bless us and help us to become the kind of people you want us to be. We acknowledge that we're not perfect in our day-to-day living. We acknowledge our weaknesses and our imperfections. But rather than tolerating them as we so often do, we ask you to help us to modify them and even get rid of them where you will help us, Lord. And so we ask that we might learn, first of all, to come to Jesus and to find in him new life and salvation from sin. And then to follow him empowered by your Holy Spirit we ask your blessing on our own individual lives and on every home represented here this morning in Jesus name